Let us return to the text we read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And our text this morning for this morning's sermon is from verse number 18. Verse number 18 of 1 Peter chapter number 3. Which reads, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Amen. And our title for this morning's message upon this text is The Suffering of Christ. The Suffering of Christ. This letter, 1 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God. And Peter wrote this letter, and he deals largely with the subject of suffering. The subject of suffering. Something we as creatures, fallen creatures, have all tasted something of. We all have an idea of what it means to suffer in one way or another. This was written during the early church. The gospel is spreading to new lands. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 it tells us he's writing this general epistle or sometimes called a Catholic epistle because he's writing it to various different places. Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia and in other words modern day Turkey. Modern day Turkey was kind of broken up into all these parts. The true faith was no longer confined to just one area. Judea and around Jerusalem. Now it has spread and it is spreading throughout a larger area. And the true faith goes forth. And what happens? It's gone where it's never gone before at times. God's people are even, you could say, scattered. No longer confined to that one area. And with this comes suffering. With this comes cultures that they are around that do not understand the gospel and do not understand what they are talking about. This is all brand new to the pagan cultures that they would have come across. Now, sometimes when we think of suffering and persecution as Christians, sometimes we think of The physical kind. Beating and all these kind of things. And yes, that is part of persecution. This is often what we read in Christian history. Fox's Book of Martyrs and other things like that. But that's not the only type of persecution. All Christians will suffer persecution. It may not be physical persecution. But all Christians suffer persecution in this fallen world. And it's usually of this variety that Peter spoke about. Evil speaking. It's not nice to be spoken about in a way that's not true. Somebody says something to you that's not true. It's made up or whatever. It's not exactly nice. But this is often the way Christians suffer. Their character is maligned. It is treated with contempt And there's almost an an attempt to destroy the person's 
reputation. Christians often suffer, not for what they believe, but for what people claim they believe. One of the accusations in the early church was that the Christians were cannibals. Because they were, oh, they were eating the flesh and blood of Jesus. So they were cannibals. This was the misunderstanding that was spread around at the time. So they suffered for false claims made against them. And there is great trial and there's great temptation in this. What do you do? You become frustrated and you wish to cast aside all authority, be that the government or whoever else. I think we even face that temptation largely today, don't we? Peter puts these trials and sufferings of God's people in their proper place. Do not cast aside proper authority. He talks about wives and husbands and all the things, different relationships that could be prone to suffering. But they all serve a holy purpose. And the message is this, really, throughout Peter. Continue to serve God. Endure. It's not easy, but endure. And the greatest example of suffering Peter gives in this text, Jesus Christ himself. He suffered far more than any of us ever will. As believers in Jesus Christ, he suffered the death that we all deserve. Though he was completely innocent, he was still reviled, cruelly spoken about, evil speakings. And they made up things about him too. They distorted his teachings. This Jesus whom we celebrate, who we meet with at the table of the Lord this morning. He suffered, yet never, ever sinned. He suffered, as it tells us in our text, the just for the unjust. He is the just one. He's the only one to walk upon the face of the earth who could ever take that title. The only man. I cannot take that title. You cannot take that title in and of your own selves. But he died the just for the unjust. That is you and that is me. Friend, as we look at this text here this morning, do you know him? Do you profess his name openly? He is my Savior, he is my Lord, and he suffered in my place. So I will never face the wrath of God the way he did. That he is your Savior, and he alone is your God. He alone you follow. So as we come to this text here this morning, looking at this, may we come with the same spirit that Peter spoke about, willing to suffer. We will not suffer like he suffered. But in following Christ, we are called to suffer in our own way, to follow him. We follow him imperfectly as believers in Christ, but yet we follow him. The first point we're going to look at here this morning is the penalty. The penalty. Why this suffering? Why is there suffering in the world? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why is there suffering in the world? Why then and suffering leading unto death itself? In verse 18 of our text. For Christ also hath once to suffered for sins, 
the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And this is the part we'll be really focusing in here at this point, being put to death in the flesh. So he suffered for sins, being put to death in the flesh. Why does death exist at all? Why is it there? Why is it in the world? Now, that may seem like a strange question for you, to, for me to ask. You say, isn't it obvious? Death is just natural, isn't it? Around this time of year, we remember the fallen soldiers who bravely defended this country in the First World War and the Second World War. And during that time, there was death on a grand scale that shocked the world. Communities of entire battalions wiped out, devastated, and sent into mourning. People coming back injured. And when we see of such horror and death, the world didn't want to go through that again, did it? And there's grief and there's sorrow. When we see that on such a grand scale, we know death is not natural. It's not. It's common. It's all around us. Suffering is very common, but it doesn't mean it's natural. So where did death come from? Did it come from creation? When God made the heaven and the earth, was it made so? It was not. We turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. See what God saw. Everything was made. It was good. It was good. No death at this point. It is only later that death comes in at all. And there's a warning given to Adam, that is mankind. Adam represented all of mankind in the garden. That if he sinned, if he didn't continue in the covenant with God, death would reign and come in and bring suffering. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the way we, we can look at this is, some of fallen men is, well, isn't that not nice? Why can't he have that one tree? That seems unfair, doesn't it? But really, it is God's, all of it, every tree, every piece of fruit in the garden, it's all God's. And really, this was a test. And an outward show, did he love God? Death comes for the sin of breaking God's law. We break it in one point. We break it in all points. We fall short in any, in God's perfect standard when we sin. And man is driven from the place of paradise. It is 
In Eden, things were perfect. Things were joyful. There was no suffering or toil. And then as soon as sin comes in, at the end of chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, so he drove out the man, verse 24 of Genesis chapter 3, so he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, if we read this and read certain verses, you might think, is that the end? Is that everything over? You see, what does God owe any of us? The wrath of God. The penalty due for our sin. This is why there's death and hell all around us. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you ever work in a job and you get a a paycheck and a slip and it shows you what you were owed. Well, the wages of sin is death. That is the reward for sin. That is you could say the reward for going against God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it tells us that in Adam, all die. All die. Man has brought death. See, we can be tempted to say, well, why is there death and suffering all around us? Well, why such suffering? And we can become angry with God wrongfully. See, God made this world perfect. It's us. It's Adam. It's us that we have sinned against God. It is why there is suffering in this world. It's why we, we have all the pain that we have in this world. It's why we, we are all one day going to face physical death. The question is, will we face eternal death? If we're in Jesus Christ, we will not. But what you might be thinking at this point is, well, can he not just set aside this death penalty that hangs over us? I don't know if anybody's ever said to you, you know, somebody's done you wrong or maybe stolen something, small bit of money from you, and you just said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We have to remember, we're not the judge of heaven and earth. We are not... The decider of good and evil. God is. We change. God does not. If we went to a judge and a judge ignored the penalty due to a certain crime, we would think of him as a corrupt and evil judge. We would probably get angry. If anything happened to be in the news and, and oh, this judge has no interest in the penalty. But our God ignores no sin. The question is, has it been paid for by Christ? Or will it be paid for by you for all eternity? So that brings us on to our second point this morning. The payment. Number two, the payment. So we've looked at the penalty. Now we're going to look at the payment. Verse 18, once again in our text. Being put to death in the flesh. Being put to death in the flesh. For Christ hath also once suffered for sins. 
being put to death in the flesh. So for us to have life, for us to not have that sword of death hanging over our heads, someone had to take the punishment of death. Someone had to fulfill the law that Adam didn't keep in our place. This is the penalty. This is the payment required. A payment must be made. You see pictures of this in the old ceremonial law. Sometimes be shekels paid and various different things in the offerings. What if you go into debt? Imagine you've spent too much money on a credit card. You borrow, but without any way to pay back. What do you do? Do you say, within myself is the answer to my debt problems? No. You must go to another. A one who is willing to pay your debt for you. A one who is abundant in riches and mercy. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is abundant in riches and mercy. And not just to people of a certain background or people of a certain description. Everyone who will come to Jesus Christ will find the riches of the kingdom of God. They will find their debt paid for. What, what payment is required? Death. We spoke about earlier, earlier. The wages of sin is death. Justice must be served. And there's only two possibilities. Jesus paid it. Or you will. That's a frightful thought, isn't it? It is a frightful thought. It is something that has woken me up in the middle of the night. That there are people walking around in cities that will, will breathe their last breath and wake up in hell. That is a sobering thought, isn't it? We can, the longer we're Christians, sometimes we can forget these things. And we almost try to forget these things. But they will go and face the wrath of God forever. I pray that is none of you this morning. If you seek to pay this debt, I can clean myself up. I can make myself a better person. I'm a good person, you may say in your heart. You will pay for it for all eternity. An unending death. Why? Why is hell forever? Why is it so severe? We may think that that seems a bit over the top when you read about hell in the Bible. But because of the one we sin against, he is of infinite value and worth. Even if we sinned just the once, that would be enough to condemn us to hell. For all eternity. It's not just that we've sinned many times. And we have. Myself included. Even this very day. I have sinned in thought. In word and deed. My greatest five minutes. My greatest five seconds. My greatest five milliseconds on this earth. Would be enough to condemn me to hell. If I thought for any one moment. That I could in any way. Add to the perfect righteousness of Christ. I would face and eternity in hell. I cannot pay this debt. You cannot pay this debt. 
You need somebody. We all need somebody of infinite worth and infinite value to pay this infinite debt. Have we ever seen an infinite debt? Have you ever come back and there's a, there's a debt in the post and it says infinity? Well, how do you pay that? It's an impossibility. Unless you have something of infinite worth to pay that penalty with. All the money in all the world, gather it together. All the gold, all the silver, pour it into the Pacific Ocean. Take all the water out. And Christ is still worth far, far more than all the riches of all the world. Take all the uninhabited planets, cover them in gold and silver. And still they do not come close to the riches of Christ. See, the one who pays our sin debt had to be God, infinite value. Had to be man, that he could suffer. God cannot suffer. And his payment is enough because of who Christ is. And this brings us on to our third point. The person. The person of Christ. It tells us in our text. The just for the unjust. Verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. And the one spoken about here as being the just is Jesus Christ. He had to keep the law perfectly. Every moment of his life was lived under obedience to the law of God. He obeyed his parents in every point. He kept all the Ten Commandments. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul and strength for every moment. Every single moment of his life was in pure love toward the Father. And this is the one who represents you, dear Christian, before the Father. He doesn't see your sin anymore. Isn't that wonderful? He sees Christ. He sees his perfect law keeping. He doesn't see your sin anymore. Washed clean. That's why the Lutherans during the Reformation, and they had this phrase, just and sinner. We're still sinners. We're still sinners. But in the eyes of God, our status is just in and through Jesus Christ. This person, the Lord Jesus Christ, he faced the wrath of his father. It says in Psalm number 22 and verse 1. Psalm number 22 and verse number 1. My God, and this is what Christ cried out from the cross. He quotes this. Verse number one of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? The agony that he faced. The hell he faced. It was poured out upon him. In Isaiah 53 verse 10 it says. Yet it it pleased the Lord. To bruise him. Literally. To crush him. What he endured for you dear believer in Jesus Christ. And this is why Peter puts it into this letter. You are suffering. And I have no doubt. And you are all suffering in one way or another. But you know who suffered far more. The just for the unjust. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever we're suffering, he suffered far more. Yet without sin, he is just, perfect, and righteous. He assumed human flesh. See, by nature, we are guilty. By nature, if we come to the Lord in our own person to represent ourselves, this is why we always pray in the name of Jesus. I can't come to God as me in my own works. I have to come in the name of Jesus. He represents me. He is my advocate. In, the, in a court, you need someone to represent you. You need a good, call them lawyers or advocates or solicitors. We need a good representative to represent us before the court of heaven. And it's not my righteousness. It's his. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He represents us before the throne of heaven. So it is him we love. It is him we find freedom in. It is him we become just in. You see, when we are declared just, holy, and righteous, it is in him, the just for the unjust. Number four now, the privilege. The privilege. Something has been done for us, believers in Jesus Christ. If you're looking to Jesus, something wonderful has been done for us. Notice how we say for us. It's not for every person that Christ died. If Christ died for every single person, faced hell for every single person, no one would go to hell. He died for those whom the Father gave him. You say, well, how do I know if I'm... Are you looking to Jesus? Is he the author and the finisher of your faith? Then you know Christ died for you. Well, I don't believe. I don't, this Bible, I don't understand it. Friend, seek the Lord and his mercy that he would open your eyes to see the riches of his grace. I once was blind to the glories of the wonders of what was in scripture. The things that are revealed in the scriptures. They didn't make any sense to me. But after the Lord opened my eyes... We look at things differently. We see Christ as glorious and beautiful. We see sin for what it is. Heinous and horrible. We see for the first time. That's how we know that the Lord has taken pity upon us. Or we will continue to serve sin. You see something has been wonderfully done for us. In our place and in our stead. Our text says this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You see that? That he might bring us to God. You see, not everyone can come into the blessed presence of God. When you might say, well, God is everywhere, isn't he? Yes, he is. But to come into the blessed presence of God is not for everyone. It is for those who are seen and viewed as holy and righteous. And it's only through Jesus Christ. You see, God is even 
in hell. What do I mean by that? In hell is the wrath of God. We often think about hell as, our, as the devil's domain. It's not. It's God's justice. And that is far more fearful than anything man could dream up. That he might bring us to God. The blessed presence of Almighty God. It's a great privilege. None of us deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But if it happens that the Lord has brought you into his presence. He had to make a way of reconciliation. Have you ever heard that word? Reconciliation. There's been a division between two groups of people since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Since the fall, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman that is Christ and the seed of the serpent that is everybody outside of Christ. How can we have reconciliation between us and God? That he might bring us to God. Have you ever fallen out with one of your friends? Have you ever stopped talking to one of your friends? And perhaps a friend of yours comes and talks to you. And then they come and talk to your friend. And then they try to bring you together. What are they seeking to do? Bring reconciliation between two parties. By nature, we are offended by God. We see the standard of God and we say, how dare he say this against us? This is our nature. But when the Lord changes our hearts, we're heartbroken that we ever sinned against him in the first place. God is offended in our sin, and rightly so. That's the difference. God is rightly offended. We are unjustly offended. And there's a division going two ways. You see, our attitude by nature, and we're all like this, is the problem. Our sin is the problem. It's not God. Jesus takes our sin. He keeps the law. He does everything needed for reconciliation. He clothes us with a perfect righteousness. What a privilege. Justice is not set aside in reconciliation. It is fulfilled. It is satisfied. See, if Christ paid for your sin debt on the cross, what would we ever have to fear by death? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Justice satisfied. So we can come to God. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. It says this. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ, ye who sometime were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
Christ, by his blood, brings us to him. True and lasting reconciliation, forgiveness, justice satisfied, peace purchased. Reconciliation is yours by faith in Jesus. And our final point here this morning is number five, the provision. The provision. Jesus died, but he rose again from the grave. It's why we're here. Without that reality of the resurrection, our faith is vain. But he rose again from the dead. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, once again. Being put to death in the flesh. At the end of this verse, but quickened or brought to life by the Spirit. How does this life become ours? We said Jesus died. I am a helpless sinner. If you look at various parts of the Bible, it will tell you that by nature we are children of wrath. Dead in trespasses and sins. How can a dead person come to God? Well, by nature we can't and we don't want to. That's the shocking thing about Scripture. The Lord looks down from heaven and see if there was any that it did understand. Psalm 14. And they'd seek after God. And how many sought after God in Psalm 14? No, not one. So why do we seek after God here this morning? Am I better? Are you better than other people out in the world? Who are seeking after the world, the flesh, and the devil? Friends, not at all. But for the grace of God, there go I. The more you dig into what God has done for us and how little, which is zero, we have contributed to it, only the sin that made it necessary for Christ to die, it humbles us. It makes us think, why me? Why do I have this great privilege? Because the Lord looked upon you and, and, and took pity upon you and gave you life. Life. And the evidence of that life is that you look to Jesus. He is the object of your affection and your love. None of us are perfect in this. Our faith may be the size of a mustard seed, tiny. But as long as it's there, as long as you have that faith in Jesus, you are saved. But how do you look unto Jesus? Is the answer within? No. For it's by grace you have been saved, and not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, even our, we're, we're required to respond in faith. Look to him, the author and finisher of our faith. But if we look to him, it's because God has taken pity upon us. See, we're, we're, we're so hopeless by ourselves. And we come as hopeless sinners this morning. Poverty-stricken sinners this morning to enjoy the riches of the kingdom of heaven this morning. At the table of the Lord. See we can't just think. Ah I made the right decision. I reached a certain point. I'm smarter than anybody else. No you're not. No you are not. 
If there's people you're witnessing to, remember, there, but for the grace of God, there go I. Pray for them. Pray for them. The difference between you and anybody is God. It's God who makes the difference. Beginning, middle, and end. And there's life at the table. Now, by partaking of the Lord's table, outwardly does not mean you have life. You must come by faith, which is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. But there is blessed strength and encouragement for the believer as they make their journey toward their heavenly home. There is sustenance for your journey. There is food and drink for your journey. And that food and drink is not the physical elements. It is who they point towards. The food is Christ. The drink is Christ. And the reason you have life is Christ. He provided it all. He died. He rose again from the dead. And it's the spirit of Christ that makes you alive. How do I know that I have life? You look to Jesus. If you don't look to Jesus, you do not have life. And but for the grace of God, there go I. There, there go we all, but quickened by the Spirit, made alive by the Spirit. That same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that saves you from your sins. Look at what he did for us. Verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Look at it. Once finished. He says on the cross to Telestai. Paid in full. It is finished. Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Look what he's done for us. But put to death in the flesh. But quickened. In the spirit once. And that means you can't add anything to this. And when we come to the Lord's table. Come by faith. Come with nothing in your hands. Simply to the cross you are clinging this morning. And to nothing else. You have no confidence in yourselves. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those because of your poverty in spirit. You mourn. Because you see within yourself. I am desolate. I am poor. I am needy. I need Christ. It is those whom the table of the Lord is for. And at the table of the Lord this morning. It is a place of blessing. It is a place of comfort. It is a place of warmth and joy. Where we all as one family. One people. Look to our one Savior. As we share of this one bread and this one cup, we share of one Christ. And may he strengthen us. He who died, may he strengthen us here this morning with his life. May he strengthen all who are true believers here this morning as we travel on our journey toward our heavenly home. Amen. Let us pray before Almighty God.